Good morning. And the Lord is good to us, isn't he? I wanted to do something a little different uh, this morning, just for a few minutes. If you are familiar with the Christian Missionary Alliance, you realize that we are an elder-led church, that we have a, a group of, of uh, men that serve you as your spiritual uh, guide or inspiration or encourager that they're there to uh to help you and to walk through life situations with you uh, we believe that that is uh, scriptural it's biblical everywhere paul went he established churches and he established elders to uh to oversee the church to make sure that everybody was walking uh in a way that would exemplify christ and help them because we're all in this together. We're all trying to get to the same place. Amen? So, and many of our elders in this church, uh, you know, but I wonder, there are some of you that may not know them. So I wanted to take just a couple of minutes today and introduce you to one of the elders in the church so you can get to know him, and then we'll introduce the other ones. So I'm going to ask Tom Denon if he would come up and uh, just help us a little bit. You can, you can sit on that one if you'd like, because this is my good profile. This is my better profile, too. See, we worked well. Yeah, I, I like that. So, Tom, tell me, uh, where were you born? A little place called Danville, Pennsylvania, Central PA, um, 5,000 population in a hospital. Well, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> So am I. So did you grow up there? Or? Yeah, uh, spent 18 years of my life there. Um, actually went across the county line to another school system and um, graduated in uh, something called Shikalimi School District. Shikalimi? No, Shikalimi. Shikalimi. Yeah. Oh. Got to practice that three times backwards. <laughs> I'm not even going to try that one, Tom. I like that. Uh, okay, so tell, tell me about, I want to I hear a little bit about your hmm. family. Okay. Um, let me start with uh, going way back before this slide, because uh, I'm one of three children. My mom and dad uh, were laborers in central Pennsylvania. My mom was a registered nurse. Some of you have met her here. Um, so I went to Penn State University, graduated there, and joined the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ. And there I met this lovely lady that sits next to me out here. She's standing next to me in that picture. That's Annie, my dear wife, of 38 almost years. Um, I keep messing that up because I've known her for 38, but we've been married for 37 and three-quarter years. <clears throat> um, God has blessed us. Um, it's hard to catch the faces here. Um, there are five children in that picture that are ours, um, five adults' children now. Um, our oldest son is on that side, sitting down with his wife. My youngest son is on this side, sitting down with his wife. And then oldest daughter, Katie, is the second lady in from the right. Middle daughter, Julie, you've seen, and some of you know Bree. She's the last one to have blessed our family. Um, and they're all married. And you don't see them here now because they all did what we kind of tried to train them to do. They grew up, got independent, and left. So they're literally all over the place, from Tucson, Arizona, Minneapolis, Dallas, um, Claremont, and uh, where is uh, the last one? Kentucky. That's the one I'm missing. <laughs> so they're all over the place. 
I like that. And oh, yeah, don't forget the great eight grandchildren plus two that are not visible in that picture. Wow. Yeah, what God's a beautiful been, family. God's been gracious to us. Okay, so tell me, tell me how you came to Christ. Were you raised in a Christian home? Nope. I am um, a son of a potato farmer from Ireland family, which means I have a very strong Roman Catholic background. And um, my grandpa um, was a very stern man and a very, very firm Catholic as well, as it, it, but it's trained into my dad too as well. But the bottom line was I grew up in the church uh, going every Sunday very dutifully, um, actually wanting to know God. I, I came to various points along the way, and I was, I was thinking about what I would say. It occurred to me that there were three seminal points in my life. One was when I got the chick track, this was your life, in a, a, a high school bathroom. Someone laid it in my high school bathroom. I picked it up, and it was, this is your life. I'm going, that is my life. I want to grow up make money, get, have a wife, kids, family, a Porsche, or in that case it was a Corvette, and live happily ever after with a pet dog and a bunch of kids. I got the kids, the wife, a pet dog, no Porsche. Um, and so the bottom line was um, at Penn State University, one of the guys that um, my mom knew, brother, came cold turkey to my dorm and said, Tom, you don't know me, but I'd like to uh, get to know you. And Dave came up to my room and sat with me for a few minutes at how's classes going. I said, not so well. And though I did well in high school, I really didn't learn how to study there. I kind of, kind of brushed by on the minimal side, and he shared the gospel with me. And at 2.30 in the afternoon, November 11th, 1975, I bowed my head to Jesus Christ and said, I need you. That was the point of the transformation. That was the beginning because I, I knew that I'd done that and he was there here in my heart. The next morning, the uh, enemy of my soul said, hey, wouldn't you just do a jump off the religious fanatic bridge into the deep water of religiosity? And I thought, uh-oh. But I had that same man come back and over and over work with me, Bible study, sharing Christ mm -hmm. and how Christ can change my life. So that was the, the biggest, that was Penn State University. Four years later, I graduated. Still believer and follower of Jesus, even stronger. Amen. Yeah. So you know, tell everybody what kind of work you do. What? That's a fun one. Yeah. I play. You're a pastor. That's great. I like my work. I don't work. I go to play. Um, and, and this is something I would have never anticipated. Um, that, that grow up and become an electrical engineer turn into a, an idol. And God had to deal with the idol and say, no not electrical engineering. You're going to depend on that little sheepskin. So he made it so I couldn't graduate with that. Bottom line, that's a long story. Short end of the story is I joined Campus Crusade for Christ staff in 1975. That's where Annie and I met. And I was immediately sent to the international headquarters. <clears throat> My job was to clean sewers. Now you imagine being a missionary and being sent to a place and then you're going to have to write home and say, I'm helping change the world by cleaning sewers. The story behind that is too long to say, but the point of that was that God had to train me in the reality that it didn't matter what I do, as long as I did it as unto the Lord, he would make a difference with it. The, the headquarters was about to be shut down. Had I not done my job, Campus Crusade for Christ, headquarters would be shut down. That simple. And so I moved from that very rapidly because we got them all clean, and then a guy said, I know you, you know how to solder. I'm going, yeah. 
He was a fellow engineer at Penn State University radio station. And we began to work on sound systems, recording systems, and all this kind of electrical engineering stuff all over again. Four years later, I'd worked myself out of a job, which seems to be my lot in life. I uh, do things until we do it well enough, and then I don't need to do it anymore. Sewers clean, electrical engineering, and the media services there. And then I found this place called the Jesus Film Project. And they said, uh, we need help starting our studios. And that's where I began to work with the Jesus Film. So I'm currently doing that after a number of years. Um, but I'm doing a different phase of it now. We've come to the point where we realize if we do not partner with other organizations, the job of getting the gospel to the world will not be completed. And perhaps never. Um, Jesus said he would do that. So it's a promise. There's no question. It's a matter of when. And my, my job right now is to see how many partners we can engage to new, do new Jesus films for the, the least, the last, and the lost. Partner, party groups of, or sorry, people groups of under 50,000 down to 500. Wow. So we're making Jesus films. I'm not doing that, actually. Our friends in YWAM out in Kona yeah. going to the Pacific are doing that. Now they've been trained and they're actually carrying it out. That is all awesome. It's been fun. So one more question. Okay. If when people say Tom Dinan, what do you want them to think of? How do you want to be remembered? I thought I had knew what I was going to say, but that picture's still up there. God has transformed my life so much that my family loves me. And so I want people to know that I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. I've devoted my life to serving him. Um, one of those that probably like Amy Carmichael says, I want to die with the boots still hot. Um, burning the boots all the way, rust, not rusting out. I don't know if that's going to work or not. God knows. Um, I want to see people come to know him and find the delight and joy in him that I found. Um, no matter where they are, no matter how remotely they live from here, um, but even right here, um, I groan with those who have been recently lost family members. And our neighbor just lost a grandson to drugs. And it just grieves my heart. But I want to be known for um, being there for them and being for others as well. Well, I've been here a little over a year. And I've watched you. In fact, I, I watch a lot of people. Surprise. Uh, he does. And, and one of the things that I have noticed is that that caring for your family is extended to this church. This church is your family. And I have heard so many stories of phone calls, notes of encouragement, uh, just a, a greeting in the, in the hallway about how, how are you doing, and when you look at people, you're not just casually looking at them, but you're looking to see, is there a need? Can I help? And I just want to say thank you for doing the role of an elder, because you're not doing it for glory. You're doing it because you love God and you love God's people. So Tom Dinan, thank you.
we only rehearsed that like 25 times, right? <laughs> wow. A lot of things going on today, and I know that, that our time is a little short. Uh, we are going to, I'm going to speak to you just for a few moments, and then after that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And during that response, we're going to have Chetty and Jen at the end of the service come up. And we're, this is possibly their last week with us before they go off on a big adventure to save the world. And, and uh, so, I, so I, uh, I want to give everybody an opportunity to come around them and pray with them and encourage them. Uh, it's always sad when you see somebody leave, but it's always exciting when you know they're going to do something for God, isn't it? So, I, w- I want to speak to you just for a few moments. So we're getting ready to start a new, a new series, and it's based on our, on our mission statement. If you w- go online, if you look at our website, you'll see it. It says, we love, we serve, and we send. Now, I want, to, I want this to have more brevity in our lives than just a catchy phrase that we love, and we serve, and we send. Because when you look at those three components, loving and serving and sending, I want you to notice that none of them, none of the three, are nouns. It's not a person, place, or thing. But they're verbs. They're action. They are what we do. We love. Love is not something that we think about. It's not something that we contemplate. It's something that we do. We act in love. We are motivated and moved with love. We serve. Serving is not just uh, something that you can sit around and, and consider. It's something that you do. And when you send, like this church is sending Chetty and Jen, when we send, we, we are doing that as an action. It speaks to the heart of the church and, and to the Christian life that, that we are a people that, that move. We are a people of action. Now, I know that this week there was a horrific scene that took place in Parkland, Florida, not too far from us. It has gripped the heart and the attention of our nation as 17 innocent people lost their lives. And there's a cry There's a cry, and there's an outrage, and there should be a cry, and there should be an outrage. And and people are saying, well, let's ban this, or let's legislate that, and let's do this, and let's do that. And the reality is, all of the things that they're wanting to do, no matter how meritorious they are in their own mind, they will not stop the problem. They will not solve the problem, because you cannot take away things and still get people to to act the right way and you cannot legislate morality are you with me i haven't preached in a couple weeks so it's kind of built up in a so you cannot legislate morality if if our nation is going to change and if we are going to stop seeing things like shootings in high schools and in, in, in horrific scenes across our country, it's going to have to start when God's people 
quit looking at loving and serving ascending as nouns and we begin to look at them as verbs and we rise to the challenge that Christ has called us to to go into all the world and proclaim the good news that Christ is Lord, that Christ is Savior, that Christ redeems, that Christ transforms and we no longer have to live under the bondage of sin but we can rise to a walk with Christ that is righteous and holy and perfect and true that's what our world needs but action requires a motivation there was a story of a of a man that was going home late one night and decided he would cut through the cemetery because it was a shortcut it was a dark night the the moon wasn't shining the stars weren't out and as he was making his way across the cemetery he fell into a newly dug hole that they were going to use the next day tried to climb out and the sides were slick and wet he couldn't get out he kept trying he kept trying he kept trying and after about an hour of attempting to get out of this hole and it was useless he could not get out on his own he just sat in the corner and said well tomorrow somebody will come by and help me out about an hour later uh, intoxicated man walking through the cemetery fell in the hole he started trying to get out, and the man that was sitting over in the corner just watched him. He kept trying to get out, couldn't get out, couldn't get out, kept trying to get out. And finally, after about 20 minutes, the man sitting in the corner told him, he said, it's useless, you cannot get out. And the man got out. <laughs> so what motivates us, what motivates you to act? Is it love or fear or distress or despair? Because all of these things are motivation to act. Because if you understand that each and every one of us have issues in our life, all of us have problems that we face, all of us are, are facing situations that require something to be done, whether it's spiritual, emotional, financial, physical, it doesn't matter all of us were human and as long as we are walking this earth we're going to have needs so here's what i want you to do i want i want to have a little interaction today so if you have paper and pen if you look in front of you there should be the paper and pen or if you want to take out your phone and on your uh, on your memos uh, everybody take out your paper and pen or or your phone or however you want to uh, look or to write and i want you to write something down in just a moment so and while you're doing that I, I want to bring you to this well there it is I guess we have to turn that on first I want to bring you to the story that we read and in this story is the widow of a servant of the Lord that was following the prophet Elisha and he had died. So she came to the representation of God, to the, to the prophet of God, and said, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Now, when you look at that just on the surface, that is a horrific situation. But when you look at it from her perspective, that her source of income, her husband, is now gone and left her 
in debt. She has no resource other than her son to help her regain and to make any profit. And those that they are indebted to are going to come and make her sons indentured slaves until that debt is paid off, leaving her helpless and hopeless, no financial blessing whatsoever, plus she's losing her family. Horrible, horrible, horrible situation. But look at what she did. She went to the man of God and she identified her need. She saw her need. She knew that something, that something had to be done. She felt her need. There was an emotional component that, man, something has got to happen. Something has got to, and I can imagine the, the fear that was gripping her heart and the anxiety that was overwhelming her, that, that she knew that if God did not act, her life as she knew it was over. She identified it as life-altering. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify your need. I want you to identify it. It doesn't matter what it is. If you have a physical need, just write it down. I have a physical need. If you have a financial need, write it down. I'm, and I'm going to let you know, I am not a, a prosperity preacher guy. But I'm not a, I'm not a you know, poverty preacher either. I believe God takes care of his own. So if you have a financial need, write it down. If you have a physical need, a spiritual need, an emotional need, whatever your need is, I want you to write that need down. If you want to know the Lord in a greater measure, write it down. Just whatever you're, you're looking at. And, and while you're doing that, here's what I want you to notice. She not only identified her need, she acted on her need. She didn't say, oh, I have this need, and, I'm, and I know I have this need, and it allowed that need to engulf her. She did something about it. She went to the man of God. She acted on the need. You and I are encouraged by the word of God to act on the needs that we have, whether they're for ourselves or for somebody else. Because when we act on our needs, when we, when we give them to the Lord, our needs become his needs. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have a high priest which cannot be touched, uh, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our, or can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, because at all points he was tempted as we are. He knows, Christ knows how we feel. Christ knows the needs that we have. And we are encouraged in, in Hebrews 4.16 to come boldly before him. It says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you have a need, identify that need, but act on it and say, God, here's my need. 
Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of what the Word of God says. And it's not that we're reminding God, but that we're reminding ourselves. God hasn't forgotten His Word. God hasn't forgotten the fact that if we're talking and helping or looking to help somebody else, that if we knock, the door shall be opened, and if we seek, we shall find. If we ask, we shall receive. He hasn't forgotten that. He hasn't forgotten that He's a friend that stays closer than a brother. He hasn't forgotten that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. He hasn't forgotten that, that God is unchangeable, that He never changes His mind, and if God is for you, who can be against you? God has not forgotten any of His Word. His Word is above His name. His Word will remain forever. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but not one eye, not one T will pass from His Word. It is forever established in, in eternity that God's Word remains forever. He has not forgotten His Word. So why do we remind God of His Word? It's for us that we remind Him. I believe it was Asaph in, in, in Psalm 73. He said, man, my foot almost slipped. You ever almost slip? Man, it's just, it, you know, he said, my foot has almost slipped. It's almost gone when I considered the prosperity of the wicked. And, and they were doing great, and I'm over here struggling, and, and I have these needs. And he said, man, I almost lost it, but then I, I made my way to the house of God, and I understood their end. I understood that they're like the grass that are going to be here today and gone tomorrow, but my life is eternal because I know God. And, and he was saying, I had to remind myself uh, of God. I had to remind myself of the, of the blessings of God. I had to remind myself of the promises of the Bible, that, that the Word of God is true, and it's steadfast, and it's forever, and it's eternal, and every promise in that book is for me and for you, and we can stand on those promises. Whew. I'm getting tired. <laughs> Here's the amazing thing. They... She identified her need. She knew she had a need. She acted on it. She went to God. We're going to give you an opportunity to act on that in just a, just a few moments. But there was something else that happened. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? And what do you have in your house? Two significant questions. What do you want God to do for you? See, sometimes it's not enough to identify your need and say, okay, I have this need, and say, oh, God, I have this need. Sometimes we need to ask, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, I, I need you to, to meet this need and begin to talk with him at, on, on what your need is and, and, and how you need him to meet that need. It's not enough just to say, oh, Lord, I want you to save Orlando. But, Lord, I want you to save my neighbor. I want you to save Ricky. I want you to save Jim. I want you to save my neighbor across the street. And begin to be detailed and, and, and to begin to call out to God. God, this is the need that I have. And, and this is the solution. Lord, this is something that, that I want to see you do. You're not telling God how to get it done but you're identifying 
what in detail you want God to do. Sometimes we, we pray in a vague way. Lord, bless the nations. But when we become focused and detailed and say, God, I not, not only want you to bless the nations, but I want you to bless this country, and I want you to bless this state, and I want you to bless this city, and I want you to bless these people in this city, and we become detailed and focused, and we're persistent in our prayer. It helps us identify what we're praying about. We're not praying a, a, a vague prayer, but we're, uh, we're praying a focused prayer that we know that we can look at specific things. So ask, what do you want? Articulate what you want God to do. And I'd like you to write that down right now. You have your prayer. You have what God wants you to do. Can you put it in detail? God, I need you to meet this. Don't say, God, just save my family. Write down the, the names of those that you want God to save. God, you know this family member is struggling with this habit, and I need you to deliver him or her from it. God, you know this person is struggling with their health, and Lord, she needs or he needs a healing. Begin to be specific with your prayers. Articulate it just for a moment. While you're doing that, I can, I'll sing a song for you. No, I won't. What do you, God, what? What do you want? Sometimes when the kids are used to come to us or when the grandkids come to us and they say, I'm thirsty. We'll say, what do you want? You have milk, you have chocolate milk, you have water, you have juice. What do you want? That's what the man of God was asking her. I know you have a need, and you've expressed your need, but what do you want? What do you really need? Be specific. Look at the second part of that. Not just what do you want, but what do you have? This is, a, this is a, a truth that a lot of times when we have a need, we want God to miraculously allow something to fall from the sky and give it to us. And sometimes God does that. Sometimes God does amazing things and just gives you something out of nowhere. But most of the time, God uses what you have to perform the miraculous. When Jesus fed the, uh, the 5,000, he used the five loaves and two fish. Jesus uses the things that we have. He will take the natural and do the supernatural. God uses what we have. God uses people. God uses those around us to speak into our lives, to pour into our lives. So ask yourself, what do you have? What can you do? What can you give to the Lord that he can turn and multiply and bless? Lady, the, the widow, she looked at the prophet and said, all I have is a jar of oil. 
You realize that oil represents the, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. As born-again believers in, in, in Christ and what he has done, you have that spirit. And as the song said, that same spirit which lived in Christ lives in us. That it doesn't matter what we're facing, we already have everything we need to be victorious in this life and in the life to come because we have the presence of the living God in us. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If you are looking for love, if you need love, it's already there through the Holy Spirit. Romans 9, 1 says, I speak the truth in Christ. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit, that your conscience can be uh, reignited and it, can, and it can confirm the truth in you through the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're looking for a righteous lifestyle, if you're looking for peace in your heart, if you're looking for joy in this life, it's not going to be found anywhere in this world other than that oil that you have in your spirit by identifying and connecting with the Holy Spirit in your life. And as the Holy Spirit increases in us, we decrease and he fills our life with joy. Praise the Lord. Your $5 is coming. <laughs> Romans 15, 16 says, to be, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in us that sanctifies us, that makes us more like Christ day after day, after day. It's the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Timothy 1.14, that guards what God has given us. The Holy Spirit in us. You have what you need. She said, all I have is this jar of oil. And the servant of God said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather a few. I love that. Don't gather a few. Don't quit. In other words, she do what God asks you to do. When God wants you to do something, go do it. When you have a need and you're specific and you say and 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 then God asks you to do something, it's like the disciples that needed money to pay their their um, their taxes. Everybody needs money to pay their taxes. And so the, so the disciples said, well, well, Lord, we need to pay our taxes. And he said, well, why don't you go fishing? And they're thinking, well, man, if we go fishing, we're going to have to catch a lot of fish to pay these taxes. So they go out and fishing, and they go out and fish, something that they could do. And when they catch the fish, they open it up, and there's a coin in its mouth, and it pays for all the taxes. I like that kind of fish. <laughs> but if they would have never done what the Lord asked them to do, they would have never received the coin in the fish. And there's a lot of times that the Lord will speak into our lives and ask us to do something that's just normal, ordinary, something that we can do. And when we're obedient to what God wants us to do, something extraordinary and amazing happens because God works in, 
people. God works in the ordinary and transforms it into the extraordinary. But it's that obedience of do what God wants you to do. Be all in. I love that. Get all you can. Don't gather a few. Don't quit when you think you have enough. Do you ever do that? You ever, you ever think, okay, well, God, I really have this need, really have this need, and then the Lord starts providing, and then you quit. Because you're, okay, I think I have enough. Man, just don't quit. When the, Lord, when the Lord asks you to do something, gather all you can. Do all you can. Keep doing. Keep, keep doing whatever the Lord has asked you to do. Don't stop when you think it's sufficient. Stop when it runs out. Do what the Lord asks you to do. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. And here's, here's what I want you to do as a, as a body of believers today. I, I think for, for a year, God has blessed us as a church, and, and God is really blessing us, and I'm so thankful He is, and we continue to grow, continue to, to have uh, great times. But if we are going to be the church that Christ has called us to be, We need to be people of action, people that step out and say, God, I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. You know, we have that ministry called 321 where we have three people that decidedly do not know Christ in our lives. They're going to remain threes and never become twos if we look at them as a noun. But when we begin to act and start reaching and saying those threes there's something I can do I can speak hope into their life I can speak encouragement into their life I can pray for them and I can pray specifically for them so when God begins to move in their life I can be there and God will give me the words to say that will lead them to Christ but it's action it's action that that it's taking that step out of the boat when Peter said Jesus can I walk on the water and he said yes you can come on so Peter throws his legs over the boat begins to walk must have been an incredible feeling the wind and the waves around you and yet you're walking on top of water and yet when he started looking at his circumstances and got his eyes off of Jesus that's when he began to sink I'm looking at a, at a room full of people that have great things going on in their lives and they have needs in their life. I know that because you're human just like I am. And all of us have good things on our lives and all of us have needs in our lives. And it doesn't matter if it's a physical need, a spiritual need, emotional need, whatever it is, we have a need. And I want to give you an opportunity to act on that need. You, you have recognized the need. You've identified it. You've, you have been specific with that need. I want to give you an opportunity today that if you're sick, if you're physically not well, Scripture tells us in the book of James to, to call the elders of the church and let them pray 
I believe that the Lord divinely heals people. Do you? If you're sick today, I'm going to ask our elders to come and, and, and help me. If you'd just come up here and stand with us. Just, just come up and stand right down here. And if you are here today and you are not feeling well, if you are physically ill, you need prayer, I want you to, to rise from where you're at and I want you to make your way down here and allow these men to pray with you. Would you do that? Right, right now, no hesitation. If you can't make it down here, they'll, they'll come to you. I ask the rest of you if you would stand and as they're praying if they're praying if you have a need and it's not a physical need a, a healing but if you have another need and you say God I need you to intercede it's not, it's not man I need you if you have that need if you have a need here today I want you to boldly step out and say, God, here I am. If you need a new job, if you need a new career, if you need your God to touch your family, if you need a financial blessing, whatever it is, bring it to the Lord and allow the Lord to meet you. This front is open to whosoever will.